People say we should get out of Jerusalem, go home, go into hiding, go underground. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not afraid of them. Even tonight, our holy city is overrun with them. They think it's theirs, but it's not. They think they can make something theirs by destroying it, but they can't. The others are upstairs, hiding, haven't come out all day. I've always preferred to confront things head on. He was like that too. It only happened yesterday, but I I can't believe he's gone. I can't believe that, that this is how it ends. But I can tell you how it began. What would you do if one day a foreign occupier marched into your homeland and took it? If your fields were filled with soldiers, if, if strangers took over your cities and your markets and your places of worship, men with no respect for anything that's yours, your, your business, your home, your, your wife, your child, your, your God, all of it's nothing to them. And if, when you saw your own people insulted and abused and even killed by a power that seemed both merciless and unstoppable, what would you do? You would do what I did. You would fight back. I grew up in, in occupied Judea. And the rule of Rome has always been my reality. But I have never believed it was right. I never got used to it. I believe to my core, as I do to this day, that one day my people, Israel, will be free. Every prayer I prayed was that prayer. God of Abraham, remember us. Send your chosen one. Send our deliverer. And I will fight by his side. There are some Jews who prefer to keep their heads down. Don't bother the Romans and they won't bother you fools. And then there are Jews who collaborate with the invaders, do business with them, socialize with them, profit by the occupation. There's no one lower in my opinion. And then there are my people, the zealots. Don't let that name mislead you. We are not mere enthusiasts. We're a political party and a force to be reckoned with. As as a boy, I was raised on anger towards Rome. And as a young man, I was boiling over. Couldn't anyone see? The Romans were never going to leave. We would have to get rid of them. I found people who felt like I did. The zealots. And I began meeting with them. Finally, people who were were ready to do something to change things. We We were going to fight fire with fire. We were going to beat the Romans at their own game. At first, my missions were were simple. Sabotaging a Roman camp, looting an officer's stash, taking back what belonged to us in the first place. But there were darker nights, too. As I said, the Romans would kill without giving it a second thought. And we were playing by their rules. We're freedom fighters, the resistance. Some would call us extremists. Call us what you will. My name is Simon. I've been with the Zealots for several years when I, when I first met the rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth. I was already antsy. Things weren't moving quickly enough for my taste politically. 
I, I had no desire to disciple with a rabbi. Not that I'm not devoted to my faith, I am. But, but rabbis tend to, too much talk, not enough action for my taste. But, but this Jesus, he was no mainstream rabbi. I heard stories about him. And from the first time I met him, I was intrigued. He looked like he didn't care what people thought about him, but he cared a lot what they thought about God. I mean, this guy, he knew the Torah. When he, when he taught, the Holy Scriptures flowed from him in a way that sounded noble and, and vibrant and alive. As I listened to him that day on the hillside, a, a, a breeze came off the sea and and everything stirred, and I found myself thinking, there's something different about him. I stood there staring out over the sea, wondering, when would these scriptures be fulfilled? Would Israel's Messiah ever come? Where was the one who could overthrow Rome and restore the honor of our people and our God? I was lost in thought when I realized that the rabbi was approaching me, studying me like I had been studying him. Follow me he said. I've always respected people who don't make small talk. Follow me. There was strength in his voice. Resolve. It sounded like a challenge. Follow me, Simon, I heard him saying, and we'll change things. So I did. Soon there were 12 of us. They they called me the zealot to to distinguish me from, from the other Simon, the one Jesus started calling Peter. We got on pretty well, Peter and I. We're, we're, we're both men of action. We both struggled to sit reflectively in the wilderness for long periods of time. We want to get out there and do things. A rabbi was always having to slow us down. There was one major problem with the group. The, the, the rabbi had, had, had made a mistake, and his name was Matthew. I recognized him the first time he walked into the room. I nearly jumped out of my seat. A tax collector? A collaborator? A traitor? Jesus, do you know who this man is? Jesus assured me, yes, he knew who Matthew was and that he was seeking the kingdom of God. Seeking it where, I said, in Rome? Matthew had the decency at least to look nervous. I had a reputation, but he stayed. So did I. The only thing the 12 of us had in common was him. Look, with the zealots, you join because you all agree. You don't build a team out of a bunch of mismatched guys with different ideas and expect them to work together. But Jesus said something once that stuck with me. Who needs a doctor, he asked a Pharisee. The healthy or the sick? Well, you don't have to live long to know that sickness comes for all of us. Rich, poor, kind, unkind, tax collector, renegade. All of us had failed to cure the sickness in our souls. All of us had failed to change the world. If Jesus had a cure, I was ready for it. And Jesus was, was passionate. I like that. Tireless. He was out there every day, spending time with people, hearing their stories, meeting their needs. He, he saw the same injustices I did. But, but where I envision change from the top down, throw out the bad guys, install a new king, Jesus envisioned it from the ground up, from the inside out. Blessed are the poor, he said. I could get behind that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
Yes, that's me. Blessed are the peacemakers. No offense, Jesus, but don't you only get peace by fighting for it? For three years, we listened to him talk about the kingdom of God. But, but I felt like understanding it was always like just beyond my grasp. Someone had to show it to me. And Jesus gave us glimpses of it, and, and it was amazing. But I always felt like he was holding back, like he was waiting for something for his moment. He didn't want attention. He didn't want fame. Even after we'd seen him calm a storm, feed a crowd with a few scraps of bread, I was pretty sure he was capable of far more than he was letting on. There was something about him that, that whispered to me, king. So even when I got frustrated, I hung around. One day we were summoned to a village in Bethany for the funeral of a friend. I've stood beside more gravesides than I can count. Disease, violence, heartache. Because death, death is like the Romans. It comes in and, and takes what's ours. Takes away beauty and life. It steals youth and dreams and love. Death is a fact of life. A lot like the occupation, but it never feels right. I never get used to it. When we arrived in Bethany, these two women, sisters of the dead man, let Jesus have it. If only you had been here, they sobbed at his feet. If only you had been here, none of this would have happened. Jesus, Jesus cried. Show me where he is, he said. The whole crowd followed us up to the outskirts of town, to a, to, a, to a tomb. It was just a cave with a stone rolled across the door. We stood to one side, giving the rabbis some room to, to mourn. But Jesus wasn't there to grieve. He had that look in his eye, that resolve I saw when he first called me to follow him. He asked them to move the stone. And then he prayed. And then he called the dead man out. And when the man named Lazarus came walking out of that tomb, I felt a shiver run through my whole body. Matthew and I looked at each other, wide-eyed, speechless, nothing to argue about now. And Lazarus still had the grave clothes wrapped around him. Jesus told the onlookers to take off the clothes and let him go, he said. I was amazed and afraid. Who could do such a thing? And as my mind tried to process what I'd see, my, my heart began to race. This was power that no one else had. This power could set us free because death, death was Rome's greatest threat. As Lazarus walked home, the crowd split in two, as if we were being asked to take sides. Uh, many who had seen what happened believed, but, but a few ran off to tell the Pharisees. From Bethany, Jesus announced that we were moving on to Jerusalem for the Passover. Everything was charged now. You could feel it in the air. The Passover is Israel's greatest celebration. It couldn't be a coincidence, right? This, this was Jesus' moment. I could hear that whisper again, King. Only this time other people were saying it, and they were saying it out loud. The crowd who'd, who'd seen Lazarus rise, 
wouldn't leave Jesus alone. They, they stuck with us as we set out for Jerusalem, first on foot, but then, then Jesus called for a donkey and rode. It wasn't exactly a stallion, but, but it was a statement. Like, like one of our ancient kings riding into the holy city. Jesus got the royal treatment, and we were right there by his side. It was only a week ago, but it feels like another lifetime. I've never lived through a week with as many ups and downs as this week. On Monday, he stirred things up at the temple. Tuesday and Wednesday, he was debating with the religious leaders. He he taught relentlessly. He prophesied. He healed. He emerged. He came out of the shadows. But none of it seemed to please him. He was dark and moody. In private, he, he was talking about pain and death. I didn't understand. I still don't know how he knew. At the Passover meal, there was, there was no inspirational speech, nothing about taking the city by storm. Instead, Jesus spoke about suffering. He, he announced that one of us would betray him. I just couldn't believe it was true. They had approached me, actually, our so-called religious leaders. They approached each one of us, I guess. Help us get this radical under control, they had whispered to me. And we'll give you a position of true power. But you don't betray a brother. And I told that Pharisee what he could do with his reward. Someone else had not. Judas. And when he led those soldiers into the garden that night, Peter was the first to his sword, and I was right behind him. Peter went for the high priest's servant. I had my eye on Judas, the traitor. But Jesus called us off, told us to put down our swords, and he went with them, didn't fight back, and I knew how it would end. Look, we we always knew death was a possibility, but you don't go down without a fight. You don't just walk into it. I put my trust, I put my hope in Jesus of Nazareth, and I felt like I was watching him just give up. Where was the man who chased the money changers out of the temple with authority over a storm, who, who could call a man out of his grave? Where was the man I'd been ready to call my king? Later that night, Pilate asked him, what have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom doesn't belong to this world. If it did, my servants would have been out there fighting, preventing my arrest. And Pilate said to him, so you are a king. I think he wondered if it was true. I think we all did. Jesus' message wasn't an easy one. Take it from me. Peace and love and forgiveness, it can make people uncomfortable especially people who've been on the receiving end of tyranny and injustice. It can make them angry, volatile. It made a mob of confused, angry people demand that that Jesus be crucified and that a known criminal be released in his place. A known criminal, known to me, that's for sure. Barabbas, he's one of us, a zealot. I don't know what charge the Romans finally picked him up for. There were any number of options but the law had caught up with Barabbas. 
Those who live by the sword, Jesus said in the garden, and he looked at me, will die by it. But look what happened to him. Jesus was the most peace-loving man I'd ever met. And look where it got him. It, It got him beaten. It got him killed. I had dreamed that we would beat the Romans at their own game. But yesterday, when I saw Jesus, my rabbi and friend, nailed to that cross, something inside me gave up. You win, I said, to the Romans, to the Jews, to Jesus himself. I didn't want to play the game anymore. The game where two groups of people kill each other and call it power. Because it was suddenly clear to me, that game has no winners. That game has no end. Jesus was dying, but he wasn't done teaching. And when he said, it is finished, I believe he meant that game. Jesus didn't play the power game the way I expected. Its rules somehow didn't apply to him. Instead, he stepped outside of them. He didn't force his enemies into submission and then rule over them, just as they had ruled over us. Because he always knew who was really in charge. And it wasn't somebody in Rome. Jesus saw a day when our enemies weren't just defeated, he saw a day when they weren't even our enemies anymore. And he called it the kingdom of God. The kingdom he's been talking about all these years, I think I'm finally beginning to see it. But, but, but I don't know how we're supposed to find it without him. I don't know if you can. But I saw enough these past three years to convince me that it's a kingdom worth seeking, worth fighting for, worth losing for, worth dying for. And Jesus did. I don't know what will come of his death. It would be easy to see it as just another pointless death, just another meaningless death in a world that's full of them. But I can't believe that yet. A hundred years from now, a thousand, two thousand, people may not know anything about me, but I think they're going to know about him. So now what? That's what I've come out here to decide. I could mourn, let grief consume me and and take everything that I have. I could go home, pick up where I left off, continue our resistance against Rome, do as much as I can until one day when the sword catches up with me. But I don't think I can go back to that. I'm still Simon the zealot. I still want to act. I still want justice and freedom for my people, and my heart still longs for Israel's king. If anything, meeting Jesus only strengthened that in me. But he taught me a lot about how you go about it, how you really change the world. It's not violence that brings change. It's love. I can't believe that this is how it ends. My instinct tells me to stay in Jerusalem, to see it through, whatever it turns out to be. Maybe Jesus knew something we don't. Maybe he saw things we couldn't see. Maybe there's more for us to do. Because I think the rabbi would agree with this. Blessed are the change makers.